Put God first. Your presence in their lives gives them validation. Our children don't need us to be superheroes. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. Men, stand up, be fathers. Hey guys, it's Mark, your host and founder of The Inspired Legacy. As always, this is the show that equips and inspires men just like you to unleash your inner lion and reveal your true purpose as spiritual leaders in your home. Well, my guest today is a man by the name of Jeff Allen. Jeff is in his fifth decade as a working comedian. You may have seen him on Comedy Central, VH1, Showtime, TBN, CBN, Family Net, or any number of other networks. He can be heard regularly on SiriusXM's comedy channels, as well as Pandora and Spotify. You can also look for Jeff on the internet's most popular comedy sensation, Dry Bar Comedy, where he has surpassed 100 million views on Facebook and YouTube, and get this, in less than one year. That is crazy. Jeff has also produced and starred in his own sitcom pilot for Castle Rock Television and the critically acclaimed film, Apostles of Comedy. Jeff, it is an honor. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Mark. I uh, appreciate the call. Uh, as you know, uh, I'm not doing anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to figure out what body part to scratch. That's where my head is at today. You know? yeah, I hear you, man. It is a strange time. And for those listening, if, you, uh, if you're if you listening to this right off the heels of it being launched, you know that we are in the throes of this coronavirus situation and the pandemic yes. that's gripped the world. And yeah, we're all spending a lot of time at home. <laughs> I just want you to know I'm feeling pretty confident. I survived COVID numbers one through 18. So uh, hopefully <laughs> I'll get through the 19th version of it. So, Oh, you and me both. Well, we're just going to dive right in. Um, right, man. I, I stumbled across you in one of your comedy bits on Facebook but oddly enough, the message in the particular bit that I saw, you know, while it was sprinkled with some humor, it was pretty serious. In fact, I'd go so far as to call it raw and powerful, at least for it was for me. And and I think that the, the millions of views that this particular video has at the time uh, that we're talking now, I think would uh, would support that. Uh, and I don't want to get too far ahead of our conversation here, but paraphrasing your words in that video... Uh, you describe yourself as having been, at least at one point in your life, a quote-unquote shallow, empty, vacuous vessel, apathetic <laughs> about your career, your marriage, right. and life in general. And those are some pretty strong words, man. But I think that you know whether guys want to admit it or not, I think we can all relate to at least a portion of what you described during you know some season of our life. And a lot of guys who fall into that state either they either never recover or are stuck in this vicious cycle of, you know, kind of clawing their way out only to kind of fall back again. And I've referenced this a lot lately on this show, but the rates of divorce, anxiety and depression, as well as the skyrocketing suicide rate among middle-aged men specifically, I think just further prove the point that something's going on in the hearts of men. And it's one of the reasons I started this podcast because more men need to rally together, you know, lift each other up and equip each other to live in this fallen world. And so Jeff, that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show today because the message that I heard from you in that video, and I'm going to link to it 
uh, in the show notes of this episode. But the message that I heard in your video was, uh, it was genuine, no doubt, and it was raw. But there was a message of hope there that just more guys need to hear. So I thought we could start there. If I haven't already given too much of it away, just have you kind of recap, if you could, that time in your life when you felt completely lost. Just kind of go back to that moment, and I know it was several years ago, but tell us about that time in your life. Well, it, uh, I, I like to preface this by saying, I think it was Socrates. I get it confused. I, you know, I'm not a, a scholar, but uh, I heard a quote once, an unexamined life is not worth living. And uh, I got sober um, a year into my marriage. I was 31 years old. And I went into a 12-step program, and um, all I wanted to do was quit drinking. That was it. I knew that if I, if I, if I didn't quit drinking, I'd lose my marriage. I, and we were a year into it. And uh, I married a woman with a two-year-old, and then she got pregnant right away, and we had a baby. So I, I had two, two young kids under the age of four. And um, uh, I just, they said to pray. I said, to what? And that really kind of set me off on um i was a miserable human being and i didn't know why i mean if you if you took the uh the definition of what success was by the world standards i was i should have been pretty successful therefore i.e happy and that's um uh nothing i you know i always say to people if, if you're in a marriage state that's full of acrimony um wait till you get to apathy and um my response to sobriety was uh this uh cycle of um rage and then apathy rage then apathy rage then apathy you know and um uh i i didn't take the sobriety well most guys don't early but um it really became pretty quick is this all there is and it all came to a head one night uh probably a year into sobriety when I stood on a stool in my kitchen and I stood on the stool over my wife and I screamed at her till she fell to her knees and she just broke down sobbing. And I put my kid to bed that night and he was probably six now, six years old. He says, daddy, you win. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you yell, mommy cries, you win. Mm. And I, 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 I did not one of my prouder moments as a man or as a father or as a husband, you know? So I went downstairs and I told my wife, I'm going to get some help. And I went to a meeting that night and uh, I asked, uh, so, you know, I just raised my hand and said, does anybody know a therapist? Um, I, I need some help. I, I can't sift through this. Um, I, I didn't know why I was so miserable. I didn't know why I was so angry. Uh, I was sober again, you know, I had a beautiful wife. I had healthy kids. I had a job I loved. You know, I was making a living, you know, and um, I don't know. So anyway, I went to this woman, uh, Tammy and I went uh, for two sessions. We couldn't sit in the same room together. She had to separate us. And one of the most profound things that come out of that was interesting. Uh, Tammy, they asked my wife, uh, she asked my wife, what do you want from our time together? Um, and Tammy said, I want Jeff to be the way he was when we were dating. And um uh, she said that the therapist said to her, she goes, it'll never be that way again. Um, you know, and I, I read that later on in a Scott Peck book, Road Less Travel, that um, uh, true love can't even exist in a relationship until conflict enters the relationship. There's no such thing as a loving, conflict-free relationship. Yeah, that's true. And that's what really opened my eyes up. I didn't, I, I, 
one of the first things I learned about myself was in our family growing up, there was no conflict resolution. Um, if you, if, if I, as a child raised my voice, my brother would beat me up or my father would throw me against the wall. So I learned to flee conflict. Now you imagine getting married and putting two kids in your life in a year and tr trying to live without conflict. So at least I learned something uh, right away that uh, I needed to learn how to, how to argue, I guess would be the word, you know, sure. I tell, you know, and, and uh, I would flee the room uh, if, if things would come up and I'd leave the room and Tammy would follow me. And I always said on stage that, you know, um, I hated conflict and God gave me a woman who loved it. <laughs> I would, I would, I would look at her and go, I need five minutes. And I'd walk out of the room and I'd turn around and she'd be at my hip. What do you need five minutes for? What do you need five minutes for? You know? And I ended up punching a wall and that, that was our, our dance. They call it a dance, you know, and that was our dance. And then I would apologize and the cycle would begin in a few days. So what I needed to learn was I, I learned that, um, you know, I needed tools. That's all. Some kind of tools. And here's an interesting story. I heard a, uh, a speaker one day talk about um, uh, his dating life. And uh, he said he had basically eight to ten songs and dances that he would do with his dates. And uh, when the songs and dances ran out, he knew the relationship was over because she's looking at him from across the table. And something in her eyes told him he wa she wanted something from him he was unable to deliver. And at that moment, I hated her. I resented her. And that resonated with me because that's the way I dated up to meeting Tammy. I would I would do my songs and dances. And when they ran out, I had nothing else to offer. And I would dump them, you know, or conflict would enter the relationship. And then I would flee. And that was the end of the relationship. So uh, now I'm married. I can't. I'm out of songs. I've been long out of songs and dances with Tammy. Uh, and I'm, you know, really. And, um, uh, the conflict is entered and I can't flee because I don't want to flee. I, I, I did want to be there, you know? Um, so I, 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 I heard this on a, on a tape and I, and I resonated with me and I ran home. So I, I, to me, it was exhilarating because I realized all I need are different a set of tools in my toolbox. You know, I needed to change that's right, all right you know, how hard could that be so anyway that was exhilarating to me i run home i played for tammy and she's sobbing through the whole thing and she, i said what are you crying about she said if you want a divorce just ask for one i go what she goes what did you think i would hear in that tape you know uh she thought i wanted to get out of the relationship and i looked at it and heard that so again i learned something one before I play any tapes for my wife, I play it for the neighbor's wife. And I ask her, <laughs> what, what did you hear in that? <laughs> you know? What's, what did you hear? Cause I, I learned that not necessarily what I say matters, what, what she hears me say. And, and yep. believe me, we're far enough into this marriage now to where I could see her reaction and go, what'd you just hear? <laughs> you know, because I, believe me, I, that's an, an odd reaction for what I thought I was saying. And, um, so the, eventually, I learned to shut the anger down by just being apathetic, um, and uh, I suppressed. The, the to this day, we're thirty four years into this marriage. I cannot raise my voice in her family. When people raised voices, people got hit, and uh, it was usually her. So 
I can't raise my voice if I'm watching the Bears. And uh, believe me, I, my head's going to explode sometimes watching the Bears. <laughs> so, uh, but I, 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 I shut down in apathy, and um, uh, we kind of lived this way. I was recovering, trying to recover, and she was raising two kids basically by herself. I was out on the road 200-plus days a year. And, um, uh, I, again, all self-help stuff, all self-help. John Bradshaw stuff dynamics. I became a voracious reader uh, because I knew there was something wrong with me, and I wanted to get, find the manual. Uh, let's just say, if, if I was an automobile, the, uh, the, the it wasn't running right. Yeah, and uh, I think the fact that I was able to travel and get away probably saved us because it gave us a cooling off time. But uh, I have to tell you, Mark, um, there were times, uh, there were periods seasons in our marriage that when i would fly home as the plane would descend to my home airport the anxiety would just start and um i lived with this 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 constant anxiety uh under our roof you know um there was this palpable thing and we couldn't you can't put your finger on it you Mm -hmm. know and um uh Anyway, it all it all finally came to a head, um, probably eight years in, you know, um, where she asked for a divorce, and uh, I I just said if that's what you want, you know, I mean that's how dead we were. I mean there was, we were done fighting years earlier than that. We just kind of coexisted, and, and and again we were cordial people, we're civil people, and I was doing my work, you know, um, in the twelve step stuff and um, trying. You know, I was trying, I was praying, you know, they told me to pray, you know, um, and, and again, I find it interesting, the third step prayer that I prayed, uh, every day for years was, um, God removed me from the bondage of self so that I may better do thy will, taking away my difficulties so that victory over them others may bear witness to thy strength, thy power, and thy way of life. I didn't believe in God, but I believed in the program. Um, cause I saw it, I, I, I looked around and I saw happy people contentful at, at peace in their own skin. And that's really all I ever wanted. I wanted to wake up one day without anxiety. I wanted to wake up one day and, and look at my wife, the way other people looked at their wives. I knew I loved her. I even asked my therapist, I said, do I love my wife? She said, you want my opinion? I said, yeah, I would love your opinion. She goes, no man would be doing the work you're doing if they didn't love their wife. Mm. I said, then why can't I? She said, because you're broken right now. And I go, what do you mean? I, I, you know, I, again, Mark, I just, really, I just got into this whole thing. I wanted to, you know, I just really wanted to be fixed. I, I just thought I'd quit drinking and everything would be fine. Well, that's, you know, basically the, the, the antithesis of what happened. The wheels came off and, um, I just, you know, I don't know. Um, I was obsessed with my marriage. I, I, I obsessed with everything but my career. And, and uh, that was when that came to a head. She, you know, we had three months behind on our mortgage. And, uh, they repossessed the car. and We filed bankruptcy. And one day, Tammy comes to me and she says, I get the impression you don't care. And I go, I don't. She goes, who says that? I go, I'm just being honest. She says, but who doesn't care? I go, you think I don't want to care? Do you honestly think I don't want to care? I wake up in the morning, I look at all this responsibility that I have. It's on me. 
I get it. I understand it. I'm trying. I'm trying to will myself to care. And I just I go, what's the point? What's the point? And it all came from a gerbil. I, I don't know if that, that was on the tape. I don't know if it was it on the tape. I don't remember I don't, that. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> but I got obsessed with this my kid's gerbil. And it was funny because Tammy, after a couple of days of me just sitting there, you know, just kind of watching the gerbil, you know, and I get up and eat and whatever, come back and sit and watch the gerbil. <laughs> and she finally goes, the heck is it with you and the gerbil? And I go, look at it. She goes, okay. I said, it gets sticks on one side of the crate and runs them over to the other side of the crate and stacks them up. And then every now and then, you know, when that gets full, he runs them back over and he stacks them up on the other side and he spins the wheel every now and then for some entertainment. She goes, so, and I go, that's my life. She goes, what are you talking about? And I go, I keep thinking five, 10, 15 years down the line. Cause I was projecting that That's another thing that you know, alcoholics we project. And I projected, you know, if this is my life, I guess, you know, I, I go out and make a few bucks, we buy a few things, they wear out, we take them to the landfill, mm, yep. you know? And I said, every now and then we go to Disney World or whatever, that's our wheel. We spin our wheel for entertainment. And then we come back and I buy some more sticks, but they always wind up in the landfill. And I'm thinking five, 10, 15 years. And, you know, so what, I get a sitcom deal, a movie deal. I make a lot of money. We get, we get nicer sticks, but they all wind up in the landfill. And I looked at my wife and said, if this is my life for the next 15 years, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm checking out. She goes, you checked out years ago. You haven't been here for years. What did you mean by that, though? Did just, are you just talking divorce at that point or something more drastic? I, I, I don't know. I, I, you know. I never was suicidal. I, I, you know, I, I went through bouts of what I would consider probably depression. I didn't you know, certainly self-diagnose it as that. Uh, but I, you know, again, when you're – nihilism. When I read the definition of nihilism, that I said, that's me. There was, there was a cartoon in a Charlie Brown book. I love my references, by the way, but Charlie <laughs> Brown, <laughs> but there was a, uh, where he was sitting at, uh, Lucy was the psychiatrist for five cents. You know, she would, she would sit there and say psychiatry for five cents and Charlie would sit there and, uh, she would say, uh, maybe you're this phobia and he'd go now, nah, you know, and then this, this, she rattled off like 20 phobias and he goes, nah, nah, nah. And then she said, well, maybe you're this. And uh, he said, what's that's that? She said, fear of everything. And he goes, that's that. (laughs) (laughs) That was the revelation. I'm afraid of everything. So, but, but nihilism, when I read the definition of that, I go, that's me right there. Nothing. There's nothing. And she would say, why can't you get the kids? And I'd go, what if you get T-boned at a red light? And it's taken away from me. She goes, that's morbid. I go, read the paper. Happens every day. Yeah. You know, what if I get cancer? What if I get this? What if I get, I mean, it was just this thing. And she finally said to me, you're draining me. My God, you're draining me. I can't be in the same room with you. Because even when I wasn't speaking, it was coming off my body language. It was coming off me. So that's the bottom. The divorce. She asked for the divorce. Yeah. That sounds like the bottom. But it was like. Also a blessing because now we were able to, we were able to really start talking as divorced people as on, as honestly. And, and, um, I remember she was, she had her back to me one night, we were laying in bed and, uh, it hit me like a freight train. She always has her back to me always. 
I mean, when we were in the kitchen, you know, maybe at dinner she could she could sit and face me. But so anyway, I reached over and I touched her shoulder, and she just moved away from me. She sat down, and I I looked at her. I, I I tried to turn her. I said, "Will you look at me?" And she said, "No, I can't." I said, "Wow." Yeah, I got up and I left the room, and I sat in the living room, and I just sobbed. Just sobbed. And I had no no understanding how we how, how we got there, you know. And um, I found out I don't know six months later, whatever. She she got involved with another man for a while, and I'm, I'm not going to go into detail, but she sure. she shared this on a tape. But she got involved with another man, and when I found out about it, um, again, it was one of those moments. She was in California, we were living in Arizona, and I said, "Get home." And uh, and she she waited a night. She was supposed to be home that night, and she couldn't. She was so devastated at the revelation of this. And I had a night alone. And I remember reading years later when I when I got saved in the Bible about Jacob. I think it was Jacob wrestling with God. And uh, every time I tried to get self righteous about this um, affair she was having that little voice would go off in my head. Remember the time you stood on a stool in your kitchen, you know, and, um, yeah, but, you know, and, and then I, I calm down and I'd start to get more angry and righteous about it. That, that little voice would go off. Remember when you did this, remember when you did that, you know, you're, you're not really a, a, a very good husband. You're not a very good father. You're not a, you know, and, um, I was exhausted. I had to pick her up at the airport the next day in the morning. And I was just, I was up all night, just pacing my bedroom floor. And I picked her up and I gave her a kiss on the cheek. And she said, that's it. I go, Tam, we're a mess. We're an absolute mess. I said, uh, I, I, I don't know how, but I think we can get through this if we want to, if we don't want to, then if that's what you want, if you want that guy, then I'll, I'll let you go. You know, by then, you know, we had decided to get a divorce. So it was a matter yeah. of filling out papers, you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, we, <laughs> again, the, the Bible says what Satan intends for evil, God will use for good. My biggest character flaw is procrastination. So it's no shock that we didn't rush into divorce, <laughs> but, um, we went home and, um, I don't know. I said, uh, you, you live your life. I'll live mine, but let's just try to be civil around the kids. And uh, we sat the kids down at one point and told them we were getting a divorce. And uh, I had read in a book that uh, the only concern really at that age, they were you know, young, is what's going to happen to us. And um, the first thing my oldest boy asked, what's going to happen to us? I said, you guys will live in the house and um, I, I'm just going to move out. But uh, we still love you and I'm still going to be your father. And um, man, you know, I can't imagine and I'll tell you how how deep that cuts into a kid. Ryan, my youngest, was four years younger, so he was probably six or seven. And the first thing he said was, "Daddy, why can't you live in the backyard? You know, so <laughs> we'll build a house for you in the backyard." And um, we had reconciled, and everything was on track. A year, a year later. And we were out on the road with our kids and Ryan starts crying. The youngest starts crying at like 10 o'clock at night. And we go into the room and the hotel, you know, we had sharing hotel rooms. And anyway, I went in there. I said, what's the matter, son? He goes, I don't want you and mommy to get a divorce. 
a year later. Wow. That was on his heart the whole time. Absolutely. And uh, I said, um, we're, we're okay, son. We're okay. God, that was at that point that we had, we committed our lives to Christ and things were back on track. You know, man, that is, that is a rough state. That is rough. And I, I think my lucky star is that I can't relate to a whole heck of a lot of that, but um, (laughs) a lot of guys out there can and, and, uh, and have been there. I want to go back to something that you said early on. It was when it was after you had screamed at your wife and she dropped to her knees and she cried. Do you think anything would have changed had your child not said something to you then? Well, that's a good question. I, I can't. Wow. You know, I never thought of that. I, you know, um, you know, out of the mouths of babes, uh, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I don't know. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick second here and tell you about my free parenting guide called nine ways to be a better dad. I have compiled nine game changing parenting tips backed by biblical truths that will help you and your kids focus on three critical areas of life principled living, strong and healthy relationships, and discovering true purpose. You can download a PDF version of this free guide by visiting theinspiredlegacy.com slash join. Again, that's theinspiredlegacy.com slash join, or look for the link in today's show notes. You know, out of the mouths of babes, uh, I I don't know. Um, Here's another story that, you know, you went along the same lines. Um, Before I got sober, I was uh, in the middle of a, I was drinking and and doing some cocaine and trying to figure out how, why I was so miserable. And long story short, I came to the conclusion that it was the marriage. And um, I thought if I could get out of the marriage, then um, I could go back to the way things were. I could drink guilt free. Mm. And um, I decided I was going to beat her up. Um, just as a way out as a way out. I thought who could stay with a man that would beat her, you know? Wow, man. And, um, so I went in the room, I was standing over, her, you know, and of course, you know, I do have a conscience, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, this is wrong. You can't do this. This is, this is insane. And while I was wrestling with this, my son started crying in the crib. Uh, he was six months old and I went in and started spanking him and, um, Tammy took him away from me. And that was what got me into rehab or uh, into the 12 step program. She sat on the end of the bed and fed our son that night. And I realized what I had done and what I could have done and how bad that could have ended. I could have killed my son. Yeah. And I dropped down to my knees and I told her, I said, if you don't take me to um, Alcoholics Anonymous, I won't go. And if I don't go, I don't think we're going to make it. And that's what got me in. So along those same lines, you know, I think to this day, I think that. Ryan woke up and took that for his mother. I, I, you know, I, Oh, wow. I believe that. And, uh, that's powerful. I shared that. Yeah. I shared that 12 years later for the first time publicly at an event. And, uh, Ryan was 12 and he came to me and he said, daddy, was I that boy? And I said, uh, you were, I was a different man. then. Yeah. God changes us, doesn't he? Boy, I, I say I say it over and over and over again. When the world breaks a man, 
it's a joke and they continue to pile on until he's ashamed and humiliated to where he doesn't want to get back up onto his feet. But when God breaks a man, he just shows him his heart, just shows him his heart. And, uh, and God does never, ever, ever leaves a man in a broken condition. That's true. He always gives him a way out and gives him a way to stand up and hold his head up and, uh, and, and, and walk forward. Yeah. Walk forward. You know, by using the past, he's able to, to walk forward. Yeah. yeah. Amen, man. I think we have yeah. to be open to it, though, for that to work. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. If I did anything right, it was a willingness to put one foot in front of the other and, and look outside of myself for the, for the answers. The questions came from inside. Yeah. And, uh, but the answers came from the outside. I was able to look outside of myself eventually, ultimately, to, uh, to uh, Christ. So let's, let's go there. I mean, you obviously hit rock bottom and we're in a, in a real bad state, uh, personally, emotionally, your marriage. Yeah. Um, what, what clicked for you that allowed God to come in and go to work and ultimately change you and get you back on track? Not just personally, but just with your marriage as well. What clicked? Well, um, a a man, uh, came in, um, it was an interesting relationship. He, I heard about this guy months before I worked with him. I, I kept hearing that there was this guy. I was a, I'm an avid golfer. Um, you know, I always say that I tra- traded my obsession for cocaine to golf. You know, they're, <laughs> they cost the, they cost the same money. They're just as <laughs> aggravating, but one's legal. And, um, but uh, I had heard about this guy. He was a really, really wealthy businessman. He was out doing comedy. He was an open um, an MC, uh, much older than us. Um, not much, you know, ten or twelve years older. But um, and because of his wealth, he had he was a member at like um, you know Preston Trail in Dallas, Muirfield Village in Columbus. A really, really well known. And he can get us on Augusta National and all of that. Oh, wow. All you got to do is just like be his friend. And I, you know, as miserable as I was, I could be personable if I, if you had something I wanted from you. (laughs) So I had called, it's interesting. I didn't know it. He was an evangelical Christian and came out of, um, anyway, anyway, we finally worked together. And at that time, I'm reading Ayn Rand. I had gone through all the self-help, the Buddhism, the New Age, all that stuff, and uh, just uh, the Tao, of, you know, uh, and all these uh, attempts at some kind of spiritual. Um, and and again, I likened to what I was going through as a spiritual thirst. Uh, you know, you're parched and you're dry, and you, you you know you find something. You know, you read a passage here and there. You, you know, you see it on somebody else. Uh, you know, it's like a fine coat on somebody else. You go, wow, what are you doing that so, you know, makes you so, you know, happy? And, uh, well, I'm into the Tao, you know, and or I'm into Buddhism or I'm into this, you know. And um, so um, anyway, I, I, I played some golf with this guy. We were working together in Tampa and um, we're out on a golf course and I wanted to learn how to accumulate wealth. Uh, Tammy and I were just starting to kind of get back together. We we're still in the middle of all of that stuff. And uh, I felt if I could get money, just make money, I could get Tammy away from the guy she was with, and I could I could get my marriage right. I called her best friend and uh, talking to her one day, and um, 
She said, do you love Tammy? I said, I do. And I, she said, do you want to be married to Tammy? And I said, I do. She goes, then fight for her. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, she goes, fight for your wife. And I didn't understand what she was talking about. She goes, she wants to be with you. But for gosh sakes, you've given up, you know. So that was when that was kind of a turning point. It's like, okay, I, I again, I don't know how to do this. I, you know, it's like, remember the days when you know you watch the movies where the guy could get on a horse and he could like ah, slay the dragon, <laughs> you know, grab the damsel and ride oh, off. Yeah. And you know, in my mind, it was like I was such a loser. Why would she want to be with? I mean, again, that's that sense of self. So yeah. And at this point, you're still looking for the right tool. You just don't know what tool you're looking for yet, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I've tried everything. You know. Anyway, I, I just money. Okay, it's money. That was the one thing that I felt that it wasn't going to be. I, I for all those years, I just knew it wasn't going to be money. But I said, all right, if it's money, then at least I can get the the uh, the mortgage people off my back, and I can get a car that runs. We had a car with a bad intake valve that would take twenty sec, thirty, forty seconds just to get up to twenty miles an hour. And uh, it was an awful car. I had my kids waving out the back window. White trash were coming through. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So uh, here I am golfing with this millionaire. So I said, how do you accumulate wealth? And he said, uh, you can't begin to, you know, uh, he went into a whole thing. He goes, you don't want money. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you can't handle what little you have. And uh, you have no idea the burden that a lot of money would be on someone with your inability to handle money you know, Ouch. <laughs> which is not what yeah i didn't want to hear it but he, he was dead on dead on i i can't imagine coming into like the lottery you know and um so uh but he said you can't even begin to enjoy the creations you have a relationship with the one who created it and that was one of those things that was like right between the eyes wow i thought it was new age you know i go wow that's so cool would you read that you know i was gonna go buy the book sure. you know, as well it's actually biblical you know, the relationship with the creator part is the biblical part of it, you know. And um, uh, we, we we kept, we had a wonderful friend, you know, friendship developing that week on the golf course. Talked about a lot of things. And um, I finally said, where are you reading all this stuff? He said, well, it's in the Bible. I, I finally said, stop it with the Bible, man. You know, he kept pulling the Bible. He kept, you know. And I said, uh, he goes, what's your problem with the Bible? I said, well, yeah, who actually reads the Bible? You know, I mean, I know it's everywhere, but uh, who reads it? I mean, I've tried. Believe me, I I pick it up in hotel rooms and I thumb through it. Of course, it's the Gideon, the King James thing. You know, and yeah. I, I never, you know, I never got it. You know, so yep. yeah, I remember mocking at one point. You know, it's the living, breathing word of God. I'd opened it and go, "Breathe to me, breathe to me." You know, and what I didn't know was He was the whole time. <laughs> you know, so so anyway. Um, he said, uh, what's your problem with it? And I go, no, I, you know, you know. then he finally said to me, well, let's back up in the conversation. What's in the Bible you don't think is true? And I said, well, I, you know, be honest with you, I've never really read it. And he goes, well, then you're not really an atheist. You're, you're, you know, you're a moron. And uh, <laughs> I go, you know, what? <laughs> you know? And he said, you know, and along the lines of it's the most influential book in the history of the world. The entire Western civilization, certainly the moral codes, are built on the foundation of, of this book, and you can't even crack it open. That's lazy, intellectually lazy and moronic. And um, he said, really, to be a true atheist, you should study all of the religions and come after an exhaustive intellectual search, come to a conclusion that there is no God. 
you want to circumvent all the hard work and just come to the conclusion. He goes, that's lazy and moronic. So it, before he left that week, he said, I like you. And I remember going back to my room and just really getting really emotional. Hmm. Um, I, I couldn't understand why this kind, gentle soul, uh, successful man would say something like that. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, years later, he told me he felt that God had put it on his heart to, to disciple me, that I was looking for something. So uh, he signed me up for these Bible tapes out of Denton, Texas, Tommy Nelson's church called Denton Bible Church. And um, he asked if it was okay. And I said, I don't care, man. He signed me up for whatever you want, as long as it doesn't cost me any money. So we parted ways on Monday. By Thursday, I had a Bible at my house, uh, the NIV um, Bible. And um, I think two weeks later, a tape came in a manila envelope. And I didn't open it up. And I didn't open any of them up for months, almost a year probably. And we had this friendship over golf that always ended the same way. How are you and Tammy doing? I'm not too good, Phil. You know, and he'd go, we pray for your marriage. And I'd go, why? And he'd say, well, we believe our marriages are ordained from God. God didn't put you two together just for you to make another life and part company. We think you should be man and wife. So that's if it's all right with you, we pray for you. I go, I don't care. Knock yourself out. And um, every conversation ended the same way. We've, uh, how you guys doing? No, we pray for you. That's great, Phil. Thanks. Appreciate it. I, I, I think she's going to divorce me. And uh, after a year or so of collecting these tapes, um, she was going away for the summer. And um, uh, she gathered up all the tapes and said, you either listen to these things or I'm throwing them out. I mean, you should imagine. I mean, the whole house was piles of manila envelopes from some church in Texas. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and dust all over them. And, you know, the Bible was in the junk drawer. You know, and... Um, Anyway, she left. I, I said, gather the tape. You know, just, you know, I'll, I'll listen to them while you're gone. She was taking the kids for the whole summer, and I knew she wasn't coming back. I knew it. Mm. As a matter of fact, she told me years later when she got off the plane in Ohio, her parents said, you're home now. You don't have to go back. Wow. And, um, and uh, she said um, that uh, there was a constant drumbeat of the whole time she was there of that man you know, referring to me. And you don't need to ever go back to him again. And, uh, you know, uh, so one day I just popped in a tape. It was Ecclesiastes. And um, you talk about, you know, a moment in time. I froze when I heard meaningless, meaningless, you know. And um, I believe this was the moment God switched, switched it in my heart. You know, not just my head, Mm -hmm. that this was truth because I began that day. I soaked in a year or so worth of Bible tapes in three months. A lot of them I listened to two and three times. Wow. Made notes in my Bible. I couldn't get enough of that book. At one point, I wanted to run on my lawn. I remember saying this. Have you ever read this thing? My gosh, (laughs) an amazing book. Like I was the only one that ever read it. So now and, you're on uh, fire. You're on fire for God at this point. Oh my gosh. I couldn't. Yeah. And Genesis one, one, I remember hearing it and just prostrating myself in my living room, just laying on the floor, just going, there's a God, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry. That's all I kept saying over and over again. So sorry. And I called my friend Phil up and I said, there's the God, Phil, there's a God. He goes, I know. I've been trying to tell you for over a year. <laughs> he goes, uh, you know, you sound like you're you're distressed. I go, I, you know, blasphemy, cursing him, denying him. And he said, have you gotten to the cross yet? And I go, the cross? He goes, ah, I can't ruin the ending for you. Come on. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He goes, I hope you get to the New Testament. And I said, I've listened to some of those. He said, just study the cross. And um, I, I got to the prostitute at the well, and I remember uh, just breaking again. And uh, the prodigal, who can't listen to that and not break? The sermon on the prodigal. Yeah, yeah. Describes so many of us. Absolutely. It's To this day, it's my favorite sermon. It's my favorite sermon. You know, and the resentment of the the good son, you know, um, you know, why? Because I hear that so much at church, you know, and uh, I um, anyway, it was after a couple of months I was in Texas uh, working. I was at a club uh, and I had my kids with me. I had gone and picked them up in Ohio and uh, gave Tammy a break for a few weeks. I took them on the road with me and. Uh, I went to church that day. I met uh, Tommy at the church. Um, I had Phil introduce me, and we went back to his house, and he said, you know, when I met you, you were looking for something. Have you found it? And all I could say is this. If Jesus Christ is not who he claimed to be, then uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes was right. I'm a dead man. Solomon's conclusions, basically, this is kind of summing up the book of Ecclesiastes, but uh, life without God will have no meaning. Without meaning to your life, there's no purpose, and without purpose, you might as well off yourself. Man. And um, I heard that, and it, it was so exhilarating. It summed up that he was right. That was absolutely my conclusions after eight years of, um, of, of me. You know, I heard a saying once, there's no smaller package than a man wrapped up in himself. And I was I was a small small man I really was it was all about me all about me and um, when I when I gave my life to Christ things changed literally overnight that that burden of whatever it was that anxiety was gone the next day and that was the gift that was the gift I could now function as a man um, I because I wasn't just constantly inside my head right wow that statement you just made was powerful i just it's rolling around in my head right now once that weight was lifted you finally could function as a man that's powerful yeah yeah i was no i wasn't as self-centered believe me i i draw back into that sure that's my default position everybody yeah that's everybody's default yeah but i have a i have a uh holy spirit within me to remind me uh, that and through uh, discomfort, that discomfort I feel is is uh, those moments. And here's here's an example. Tammy was going through breast cancer, and uh, uh, this is 20 years ago. But um, you know, my career was finally starting to take off. Our marriage was really really good, and uh, everything was just kind of rolling along. And uh, they, she gets breast cancer, and everything grinds to a halt. And I remember praying one day on my, cause I was, I was, that, that anxiety was back, you know, and, um, it was easy to hang it on, on the cancer, but, um, 
I, I didn't know why. You know, I was like, you know, so I, I prayed. I said, Lord, show me my heart. What is going on? And Mark, no lie. The next day I wake up in the morning with this terror. And uh, it's, I resented, I resented my wife because this interfered with my career. Oh, wow. How selfish is that? I mean, really? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's that's me. That that really. I believe me. If you would have asked me that, you're really only upset because this is really upset you. I would have attacked you for that. What? What man could really? Oh my goodness! Really? And um, it took. So he totally. God just totally turned you inside out and remolded you. Absolutely. And believe me, it, it has its moments where I just, I want to quit. I do. I remember standing on stage one night and, and doing my testimony to a point where I stopped in the middle of it and I said, I want to be done. Does anybody feel that way? Well, you're just tired of doing the work. And a bunch of hands went up. And I said, thank you. I just want to wake up one day and the Lord go, you know, you're done. But you realize this walk on earth, you're never going to be done. There's so many layers mm. to, you know, I'm sure Mother Teresa if, if would wake up days and think there was more to do and work to do on herself, and, you know. Yeah. Um, well, in a fallen world, there's always going to be something that needs fixed. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, believe me, it's this ebb and flow. You know, and the depths are nowhere near the depths and the highs are nowhere longer the highs. And, you know, my favorite saying that came out of the 12-step program was, this too shall pass. You know, I mean, I, there were days I'd come in on this pink cloud floating across the room and they'd look at how happy I was. And they'd go, yeah, this too shall pass. And I'd go, shut up. This is never going to pass. I found the secret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's so cool to hear that story of how you, like we mentioned before, you hit rock bottom. And your wife left, she took the kids, she's gone for the summer, and you know in the back of your mind she's never coming back. And that finally got you to a point, sounds like, that your heart was finally willing to be receptive to what these tapes had to tell you. And you heard yeah. those those passages from Ecclesiastes that finally, after all those years of you opening the Bible and say, speak to me, do something, right. you finally ran across a passage that spoke directly to where you were in life. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I shared that at a church for the first time, some Christians came over and go, let me understand this. God used the book of Ecclesiastes to lead you to Jesus. And I went, yeah, you got a problem with that? And they go, well, it's a pretty cynical book. I go, well, you didn't know me like he knew me. <laughs> <laughs> I found it. To this day, it's still one of my favorite reads. If I was king of the universe and I could snap my fingers and make one law, it would be for every incoming freshman in high school to study the entire semester of the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm, that's interesting. And every outgoing senior to do a review of what they studied four years earlier before they headed off into the world and realized that materialism is uh, an empty, empty, empty thing. Well, that's for sure. That is for sure. Man, as we near our time here, I want to see if we can get some some words of advice from you for the guys listening 
like I said at the beginning of the show, I think there's a lot of guys out there that feel a sense of apathy in some area of their life and maybe not now right. but in the past or maybe they're going to encounter that at some point in the future. What would you tell those guys to avoid apathy altogether? Is there, is there some, some magic words of wisdom that you had to share with us about that? Wow. Um, boy, every, everything's so, so different. Um, if, you know, it's interesting. Um, all right, here, here's a couple things that, uh, that, that I read in those self-help books that I took with me. One was write out your, your, your obituary. And what you, what would you want your family, your family, not your friends, but your family to say to you at your, at your gravesite? I did, I did not get past the first one. He always had time for us. Oh, wow. I didn't get past it. I, what a joke. It was an absolute joke. And, uh, that, um, Another thing a sponsor told me that when you feel like, when I felt like drinking or I was feeling sorry for myself or I was wrapped up and in, in, in getting um, getting angry at circumstances that I had no control over, put some trash bags in your car and go out and pick up trash. And I thought that was the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I go, why would I do that? And he goes, because just do it. Just do, I'm your sponsor. Do what I tell you to do. So I put these trash bags in my car, and one day I, I I couldn't go home. I was so angry, and I was just just seething. I you know road rage, and anyway, I was in a mini mart, and I was getting a diet coke, and uh, I see those stupid trash bags, and I pull one out, and I start picking up trash around the mini mart, and believe it or not, man, within five minutes I was completely changed, um, and then I realized that it's service. Yep service gets us out of ourselves so do something for others now that could go the other way as well you could spend all your time away from your family helping others oh sure yeah and th that's just as bad as as not doing anything but to get out of yourself do something for somebody else and and one of the things my sponsor told me he says while you're picking up trash try to avoid others seeing you doing it because it'll feed your pride and ego. Oh, interesting. Yeah. As you begin to feel good about yourself, it will feed your pride and ego. So I have to do these things without looking for a pat on the back and accolade or whatever. I, you know, so in essence, if you're truly doing it for someone else, you won't resent the fact that they don't come over and pat you on the back. How dare they not acknowledge what I've done for them? Mm -hmm. And it's hard. You know, when Jesus said, you know, give as don't let the left hand or the right hand see what the left hand's doing. It's been hard, you know, um, you know, I, I donate as much as I can quietly and silently. And it's hard. I want to get my ego fed. I want people to know. Yeah, we all know? do. We all do. Yeah, I, I think that's just and that's why Jesus made the point. It's not easy to live this way, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and I go again, I want to, I don't want to give the illusion that this is, you know, I, I float through life. Um, again, I make mistakes and I step out of the, I've stepped out off the parameters, off the rails that, that I've set for myself. And that's another word, integrity. I heard a great sermon on integrity. It's when you integrate how you live with what you profess to believe. And, that was one of those things where I went home and did a personal assessment on, am I actually living, um, integrated with what I believe? And, um, uh, the answer was, you know, eh, kind of, sort of, you know, 
you know, things are going well, you know, and uh, I tend to get away from scripture. I tend to get away from all those things that feed my soul uh, and my heart, which makes me a better husband, better father, better citizen, which is the goal. One of the questions you had in that um, inspired legacy. I thought that was such a cool uh, of, of phrase, oh, thanks, um, man. inspired legacy. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what that means to me, for one, I've been thinking more and more about my legacy as I get older. I'm, I'll be 64 in June. And, um, you know, I got a lot of less, I got a lot less days ahead of me than I have behind me. That's for sure. And, uh, my boys are grown. I don't have the kind of relationship with them. I see other fathers that have with their sons and it, and, and I wonder what my children will say at, at my funeral. Will there be a hole in their heart, uh, Mm -hmm. when I'm gone and I haven't done enough and I'm trying to make up time. We don't have the same interests. Um, so I just discovered that neither one, none of us know how to shoot skeet. So, uh, I, I asked my two boys, would you guys love to learn how to shoot skeet? And they both jumped at it. They said, Oh, we'd love to do that. Prepare to be humbled. Well, I know I, I, I've gone twice. (laughs) I, I haven't hit a disc, you know, um, it is, it's a, um, my dad shot skeet. My dad was really, really good at it. He won a couple turkeys at the turkey shoot. I remember. And, um, uh, he tried to teach me, but we didn't have a relationship. I was into baseball and, and golf and sports, and my dad was into other things. But um, so what that inspired legacy is, um, is again, I want them, I want to leave them knowing that I, I, I want to leave them a Bible that's marked up and dog-eared and, and treaded on. Yeah. Um, and that's not going to come from an iPad. I finally stopped studying on an iPad. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't use my phone or my. I know, but that. I I, did I, for I want years. something I can physically pass down. Yeah, I did for years, and uh, that's changing. I, I now have a, and I lost my NIV Bible. I left it in a hotel room, and nobody turned it in. Oh shoot! The one that uh, that Tommy sent me, and that I had all those notes in, and all that all that uh, stuff. You know, all those memories. Well, maybe it will bless somebody else. Well, that was exactly what I told myself, you know, or God told me. You know, I don't know that little voice in us that says, "Yeah, somebody else is using it." You know, and yeah, um, I hope so. I hope they got out of it what I got out of it. You know, and Jeff, I got to think that you know your your children who saw you as a man before you knew God, and they they witnessed you come to Christ and they saw you turn your life around and they see how you're living your life today. I got to think that that's a part of your, your legacy, like you said, and that that's going to go a long way in terms of, you know, what they say at your, at your tombstone at the, at the end. Well, it's, it's, I hope I, I, I I want them to have been influenced by me. Um, the last 24 years more than they were the first, you know, 10 years nine years or whatever it was, you know, and, um, they, again, I told, you know, cause Tammy and I, we beat ourselves up all the time as parents, you know, I, I don't know anybody our age that wouldn't change things. Uh, right. and we, I said, look, Tam, how often did you want to go visit your mom? She goes, never. And I go, our kids actually enjoy coming over here. <laughs> you know, 
See, there you go. There you go. (laughs) Not so much with COVID around, but. Uh, Well, uh, on that note, I mean, I know your, uh, your tour is temporarily on hold, but if, if people want to learn more about you and uh, when your tour kicks back into gear, where can they go online to learn more about Jeff Allen? All, all the social media, Jay Allen comedy on Instagram and then uh, Jeff Allen comedy on Twitter, dry bar comedy slash Jeff Allen, you can hit dry bar. Um, I just got, I got a new special coming out. It's been dropped on the app and uh, I think, uh, I don't know when they're going to release it on Facebook and YouTube, but um, um, okay. So it's coming out on dry bar. Yeah. New one. Uh, I did one last year and that's the one with about a hundred million plus views on it and um and then this new one is uh just been released a new 25 minute or 30 minute uh, dry bar and i believe honestly as a comedian it's the best work i've produced on tape wow yeah i'm proud of it i i, I really am this this one i worked months i opened every show with this this tape for months so uh, well congratulations if they don't like it they don't like me that's what i'm saying <laughs> it's called honor thy wife is what it's called okay all right well we'll link up to everything every place that i can find you online we'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes because jeff your story is a story of redemption and i thank you for sharing it and thank you for being so transparent with this audience yeah and uh yeah we, we want to stay plugged in what you're doing and i look forward to that special getting released very cool man thanks mark wow that was something else powerful I'm recording this about, I don't know, four or five days after my phone call with Jeff. And during that time, I've just been kind of stewing on our conversation and the thoughts that keep popping up in my mind. That comment he made about finally being able to function as a man, that's powerful. And so if any of you guys are struggling in that area where you just, you feel like you're not living up to either your own expectations or the expectations of your family or that God may have on you, and he does have expectations, If you feel like you're being held back, if you're paralyzed, if something in your life is keeping you from living up to that potential, hindering you from truly functioning as, as a man, as a man of God, consider Jeff's testimony. I didn't know much about Jeff. I stumbled across that um, clip of his on Facebook and it just, and again, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's powerful. Please take time to watch it. Uh, But it was just a lot of fun to, and fun's probably not the right word, but it was interesting to dive a little deeper into that story and kind of get some backstory. It's going back quite a few years for Jeff, but it still has a deep and profound impact on him, reliving those, those memories. But again, if you guys got anything out of this, you know the routine. Share this episode with anybody that you think needs to hear it. I think apathy is one of the biggest challenges that men face today. And I know that I could relate to portions of his story. And I think we all can if we look ourselves in the mirror and we're honest with each other. We've all, we've all felt apathetic in some aspects of our lives from time to time. So uh, it's, a, it's a dangerous road to travel. And we gotta, we've got to be aware that the threat exists. We've got to be aware of when it's happening in our lives. And we've got to be, got to be bold and courageous to take steps to fight against it when it does take root in our lives. And so I think Jeff's story is a great example of how we can do that and and the power that God can have in our lives. Because again, uh, once, once Jeff's heart was ready to accept God, he was finally able to function as a man. So again, you guys know the drill. If you got anything out of this, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this 
specific message because a lot of guys need to hear it. And I believe that when we work together to lift up fatherhood, we're going to change the world one dad at a time. So until next time, live inspired. Live inspired.